the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. So now we go back to this dialogue then that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Matthew 19. They asked him why Moses in Deuteronomy 24 commanded a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce before he could legally send her away. They, they said that because they're saying, Jesus, you say marriage is forever. Why then does Moses mention the bill of, of divorce? Moses commanded divorce? Well, that's what the Pharisees said, but that's not what Moses said. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will help us see what God actually said about one of the most misunderstood subjects of all time, divorce. Welcome. I'm glad you could join us. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He's taking us on a guided tour of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It seems like we're always looking for loopholes in God's standards. We tend to want to interpret them in a way that accommodates our lifestyle rather than adjust our lifestyle to conform with His precepts. And divorce is one of those areas that has always been a topic of contention. God does permit divorce under certain circumstances, but he doesn't command it. In fact, he hates it. Here's Pastor Steve to explain. So this was the background of the Pharisees who came to Jesus that day, and Matthew 19 records that they asked him, what was his view? What school of, of Jewish thinking, which rabbi did he follow in uh in, in viewing the grounds for divorce. In other words, they wanted to know which rabbinical school he was with. And they did this because they wanted to pull him into a theological debate. That's why it says they came testing him. They really didn't care what he believed. They wanted him to tell them where he was coming from so they would exploit his answer and, and eventually use it against him. But I want you to notice from Matthew 19 how Jesus responded to their question. I, I love this. He never answered it. He never answered it. Instead, he countered their question with a question of his own. The Lord often did that. That's, that's, a, that's a great way of discussing things. Notice how he responded, verses 4 through 6. And this is critical to understand about marriage and divorce. He answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, Jesus said, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, do you see what our Lord did? Instead of getting into their silly debate, Oh, for what indecency meant and what were the grounds and what the certificate of divorce was about. Jesus took them further back from Deuteronomy 24 and he took them back to the early chapters of Genesis and reminded them of the sanctity of marriage. Reminded them of the fact that when God created marriage, he created it to be a permanent, enduring relationship between a man and a woman with no thought of, of breakup through divorce. 
This is why marriage is presented with these specific words. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become, Jesus said, one flesh. Now, the thought behind the Hebrew word uh, to be joined or cleave as as it's presented in the King James Version, is that of a permanent attachment. The the word means a gluing together. It's a fusing together so that an indissoluble, binding, unbreakable union now exists. In other words, a man is to leave the temporary relationship of his father and mother's care in order to enter a permanent relationship with his wife, where he is now joined to her so that those who were once two now become in God's sight one flesh. See, marriage is intended by God to be the deepest of human relationships. There's nothing deeper on earth. Unlike any other human relationship, it's, it's a relationship of such unique intimacy that it is expressed by the words two becoming one. Now, what exactly does this oneness entail? Well, here's how one Bible teacher explained it. He wrote, in marriage, God brings a husband and a wife together in a unique physical and spiritual bond that reaches to the very depths of their souls. As God designed it, marriage is to be the welding of two people together into one unit, the blending of two minds, two wills, two sets of emotions, and two spirits. It is a bond the Lord intends to be indissoluble as long as both partners are alive. The Lord created sex and procreation to be the fullest expression of that oneness. And the intimacies of marriage are not to be shared with any other human being. End of quote. See, marriage is not like a business partnership. If you decide to break it up because you're going in a different direction, you're not getting along, then, then you just do that. That's not the way marriage is. When you get married, you enter a one flesh relationship that God intends to be permanent and enduring for life. And that's why Jesus added to the words of Genesis, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God's brought them together. Let no man break it up. So the question we have to honestly ask is this. If God's original intention for marriage was that two people would become one flesh and stay together for life, then why did the Old Testament speak of a bill of divorcement? It certainly mentioned it. Why did it do that if that was God's original intention that there would be no divorce? Well, in light of what Jesus said about the permanency of marriage, that's exactly what the Pharisees wanted to know. If If marriage is to be so permanent, why then did Moses speak of a bill of divorce? And that's what they said to him in verse 7 of Matthew 19. They said to him, and it's a very legitimate question, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And once again, they brought the discussion back to Deuteronomy 24. Jesus took it to Genesis. They brought it back to 24 of Deuteronomy, which mentions, as we noted, because we read it, a certificate of divorce being given to a wife upon dissolving of the marriage. But I want you to know that the Pharisees, like many other scriptures, missed completely the point and purpose of this passage. They completely missed it and completely overlooked what God really was saying. Notice how they referred to the certificate of divorce. You'll see right away how they missed it. They called it a command, a command from God through Moses. In other words, they interpreted Deuteronomy 24 as Moses 
God through Moses, commanding a man who found some indecency in his wife to first give her a certificate of divorce before sending her away. That's to say that they viewed this specific law as teaching that in order for a man to divorce his wife, all he had to do to obey God and to be righteous was to make it legal. And the certificate of divorce, that that document, that paper, was what made it legal. Now, before we examine the true meaning of Deuteronomy 24, and we're going to look and discover what, what indecency really meant, what the certificate of divorce was really about, I think it's important for us to stop for a few moments, step back, and consider how Pharisees, legalists, both then and, and today, approach the Bible when it comes to divorce and marriage, because there are plenty of uh, people uh, who are in evangelical churches who have a pharisaical attitude towards divorce and remarriage. By choosing to focus on the meaning of indecency and the certificate of divorce, the Pharisees revealed what was most important to them when it came to marriage. This is really revealing of their perspective on obedience. All that mattered to them was that they conformed to the outward legal code of the law. This is so typical of Pharisees in every age. It never occurs to them to go beneath the surface by addressing the issues of the heart concerning why they have such a rotten marriage or why their spouse would behave in an inappropriate manner. It never dawns on them to think about that. Never occurs to them that somehow they could be a major part of the problem. Never never occurs to them that God might want them to minister to their wife, find out why things have gotten so out of hand in their marriage. They willfully uh, fail to consider that the Bible commands them to be forgiving, merciful, compassionate, and to address critical issues in their marriage, like being thoughtful, being loving, establishing better communications, spending time with their spouse, paying attention to her, helping her to grow spiritually. And the same could be true of a, of a wife and her responsibilities. See, that's exactly what Jesus was saying about why our righteousness has to be far greater than the Pharisees because the Pharisees just had outer trappings of piosity. There was nothing on the inside. A Pharisee's approach to marriage is always, and note this, always to maximize the sins of their spouse and to minimize their own sins. You can see this today in counseling situations. It's always her fault, or it's always his fault. They maximize the sins of their spouse, minimize their own sin. A Pharisee looks for reasons to end the marriage by finding some so-called loophole in the Bible. And once he finds that loophole, he focuses then on making the divorce legal, making it himself look good making it look justified because, you know, he's got a reputation to behold as a spiritual-looking individual. He doesn't want people knowing what he's really like. He wants them to think he's only concerned about obeying God. What hypocritical nonsense. Absolute nonsense. A genuine Christian who's interested in true inner righteousness does all he can to heal a bad marriage. He doesn't want to end it. He's willing to make changes. He takes responsibility for his own contributions to the problem in his marriage. He works on being sensitive to the needs of his spouse. He's committed to making this marriage work because he understands that to honor God, he, he has pledged to work 
through all the problems for better or for worse. And God has designed marriage to be for life. So he's in it for life. Let me put it this way. The difference between a Pharisee and a genuine Christian is that when a Pharisee finds himself in a difficult marriage, he looks for ways he can end it and still feel biblically justified. So he focuses, quite frankly, on such minor and inconsequential things as a legal certificate of divorce. That was actually, as we'll see, that was just mentioned almost in passing. It's not the thrust of Deuteronomy 24 at all. But on the other hand, the genuine believer who finds himself in a difficult marriage, he focuses on what can he do to improve that marriage? What changes can he make? He swallows his pride, repents of his sins, the sins that have contributed to a bad marriage, and he makes any and and all necessary changes to restore the relationship to what it should be. That's the difference between the righteousness of the Pharisees and the inner righteousness of a true citizen of the kingdom. So now we go back to this dialogue then that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Matthew 19. They asked him why Moses in Deuteronomy 24 commanded a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce before he could legally send her away. They they said that because they're saying, Jesus, you say marriage is forever. Why then does Moses mention the bill of, of divorce? He mentioned it in Deuteronomy 24. However, a closer look at Deuteronomy 24 reveals that they completely missed the point of this passage. Let's, let's go back to Deuteronomy 24. Let's, let's think this thing through. Deuteronomy 24, these verses, I want you to know as you turn there again, these verses neither encouraged nor commanded a man to divorce his wife. There's no command here to divorce your wife. They merely, and note this, they merely recognized that divorce was a reality. It was taking place in Israel amongst the Jewish people. And therefore, the point of this passage is to seek to regulate the divorce that was already going on. Let's, let's look at Deuteronomy 24 again. I'm going to read you the verses again. And I want you to note more closely what the only command in these verses is. Verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hands, sends her out from his house, She leaves, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands, sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sends her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now, what I want you to see is what these verses are really saying. Not what what you've heard others say about them, and certainly not what the Pharisees said about them. But notice here, there are no commands found anywhere in these verses for a man to divorce his wife. They're just not here. God never commanded a man to divorce his wife because he found some indecency in her. That was their twisted interpretation, but that's not here. There is one command in the passage. There's only one command of the passage, and that one command is that once a man did divorce his wife, he was forbidden to take her back if she remarried and that second marriage failed as well or, or he died. See, this passage only reveals... That, marriage, that divorce, rather, was taking place in Israel. And God sought to regulate it with a certificate in order to protect a wife's reputation, as well as to reaffirm her right to remarry if she wasn't guilty of immorality. 
There is no statement in Deuteronomy 24 that commands a man to divorce his wife. But that's how the Pharisees and the ancient rabbis interpreted this passage. They made a big deal, major deal out of the word indecency because they thought God mandated indecency as the biblical grounds for divorce, but but he didn't. In other words, indecency was the reason men were divorcing their wives, but not because God commanded it or even sanctioned it. They were doing it, but God didn't say to do it. You see, somewhere, and we don't know where, but somewhere in Jewish history, men in Israel decided on their own, and not because God ordered it, they decided that if their wives behaved in in an indecent manner, then they would divorce her. So the question is, what does indecency actually mean? We know the rabbinical schools of thinking on it, but what does the word itself mean? Well, the question is, was it wide enough to include trivial matters like bad cooking, or was it limited to behavior of, of some type of sexual nature? Well, the Hebrew word, the actual Hebrew word that is translated indecency is found only one other time in the entire Old Testament. Interestingly enough, it's found in Deuteronomy 23, the chapter just before 24. And you don't need to look at it. You can do that later. But the actual references are found in verses 12 through 14. But let me, let me tell you what it's about. We're told in that passage that the Israelites were to designate a place outside their camp as a latrine that was to be covered up, cover up the latrine, so that God didn't see, here's the expression, anything indecent. Cover up the latrine so that God doesn't see anything indecent. And this expression, anything indecent, comes from the same Hebrew word as indecency found in Deuteronomy 24. So as best we can understand it, this word appears to refer to any kind of shameful and improper behavior, inappropriate to a married woman, but behavior, once again, as we said, falling short of the sexual act that constituted adultery. And and, and as I said before, the reason we know that indecency fell short of adultery was because the penalty initially under the Old Testament law for adultery was death, not divorce. In other words, men were divorcing their wives for behavior of a loose moral character, behavior that was an embarrassment to them, but behavior that fell short of the actual act of sex. Now, what I want you to see clearly is that far from encouraging divorce, the point of Deuteronomy 24 was actually, and the Pharisees completely missed this, actually to prevent divorce. Its purpose is to prevent it not encourage it, and prevent it by showing its potential evil. Now, now watch this. These verses in Deuteronomy 24 simply present a scenario. They're, they're actually if clauses. If this happens, and if this happens, and if this happens. It doesn't say do it. It's just saying if something like this happens. They present a scenario whereby a man who divorced his wife, if he did that, he was forbidden to take her back and remarry her. If after he divorced her, she married another man, and that second marriage ended too. That's the only command here. See, the purpose of these verses is actually to prevent divorce by making it difficult on a husband to divorce his wife. It made it very difficult for him to dissolve their marriage. How did it make it difficult? Because it forced him to think twice about it. Because if he divorced her, Deuteronomy 24 said, she's not coming back. If you change your mind and realize, well, I was rather hasty about this. If she remarries another man, you can't get her back. 
So you better think twice about this because once she's gone, she's gone forever. This law forbid him from ever remarrying her again if she married another man. And why couldn't he remarry her? Well, verse four tells us why. Then her former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since, here's the reason, since she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. The reason is this, her divorce wasn't legitimate in God's sight. Therefore, she became defiled by marrying another man, meaning that in having Uh, intimate relations with her new husband, she was now guilty of adultery. Since in God's eyes, she was still married to her first husband. And once she became defiled by adultery, she was disqualified from returning as an adulterous woman to her first husband. Now, I know that that all of this can sound very complicated and somewhat confusing, but the main thing to, to remember and to keep in mind is that the purpose of this law was to prevent men from hastily, impulsively divorcing their wives and treating them like property that could be handed back and forth between one man to another. And you have her this week, I'll take her back, then you can have... That's what this this law forbid. Let me give you a paraphrase of the law of Deuteronomy 24. I think it would be helpful. Paraphrase would go something like this. Husband... Before you divorce your wife, you need to think this through very carefully because once you reject her and send her away with a certificate of divorce, you've sent her away and she marries another man, you can't get her back. Even if that other husband also rejects her or dies, you cannot get her back. That's the command. She's forbidden from returning to you. Now, when you strip everything away from this, what this passage reveals is that unjustified divorce inevitably leads to adultery if the divorced person remarries. And it's always implied that once there's divorce, there will be remarriage. That's the implication. Otherwise, she wouldn't be defiled. Unjustified divorce inevitably leads to adultery if the divorced person remarries. In other words, far from commanding divorce, the heart, the heart of this law is God telling men not to get a divorce because divorce forces a woman as well as a man to commit adultery. That, that's the point. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God doesn't want people getting divorced. Not only did Jesus state God's original design and intention for marriage was permanency, but in Malachi 2.16, he specifically states God hates divorce. That's what he says. And he still hates divorce. And we know that because of Christ's response to the Pharisees when they questioned him concerning that certificate of divorce. Why then does, does, uh, did Moses say you can get a certificate of divorce? What was Jesus' response? Verse 8 of Matthew 19. He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. What is he saying? God did and does permit and tolerate divorce, not because he, he approves of it, because that wasn't his design from the beginning, but because of men's sin-hardened, wicked hearts. It was at best, folks, a reluctant concession to human sinfulness, unrepentant, ongoing sinfulness. But from the beginning, Jesus said divorce wasn't part of the divine equation for marriage. 
Just because an action is legal, according to our civil codes, doesn't mean that it's right in God's eyes. So-called no-fault divorce falls into that category. I mean, when God said, I hate divorce, how much clearer could he be? And yet, he forgives all who come to him in humble repentance. His grace really is amazing. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse and the practical Bible teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater on a Sunday and looking for a place to worship, you'll get a warm welcome at Lakeside. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Visit lakesidechapel.com or call the office for more information. The phone number is 727-441-1714. I'll repeat that number in a moment. All of us at Verse by Verse Ministries are grateful for the generous listeners who help fund these daily broadcasts. We all volunteer, but there are still expenses, so our supporters play an important role. We thank you. For information about giving, you can go online to firstbyverseradio.org and click the giving link. Or call Lakeside at the number I mentioned earlier, 727-441-1714. We also have an archive of all of our previous broadcasts if you missed something or would like to listen again. That's at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Just a minute ago, I mentioned God's grace as it relates to divorce. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will share more about that as he continues our series from the Sermon on the Mount. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.